This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. Dog has been hiding in his kennel for a while, but now he's come scampering back. And in this episode, we look at a topic close to my heart, how to grow a marketing industry agency. And I'm joined by Felix Velardi, one of the best-known leaders and advisors in the field. Felix has been involved with more agencies than a dog has had biscuits. His agency ownership journey started in the 90s when he co-founded Hyper Interactive, one of the first digital creative agencies. 20 years and many hard-earned agency management lessons later, he launched his advisory business based on a program called 2Y3X. This program aims to take agencies through a rapid period of concentrated growth, doubling or even trebling revenue in two or three years. Felix says this can be done by strict adherence to proven techniques, such as setting highly ambitious targets, reverse engineering quarter by quarter steps to reach those targets, and creating a team of future stars called the Growth Lab Team. And last year, he set out this approach in his book, Scale at Speed, How to Triple the Size of Your Business and Build a Superstar Team, published by Little Brown, which is part of Hachette. And it's a bold claim indeed, and one that I'm going to go at like a dog with a bone. Felix, welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you? Very good. Thanks for joining us here. So three times revenue in two years. How on earth can you guarantee that? It's partly through experience. When we started putting together the programme, which is about, what, six, seven years ago, it it was largely around how do you maximise exit value and sale value for agency owners who want to uh, sell eventually. And so the, the sort of starting point was there are seven major discount factors that most buyers will apply to most agencies. And those discount factors are things like um, you don't have a succession team in place or you're very risky or you've got a client concentration or something like that. So if you fix those things, then you are likely to make your agency more valuable. Now, that morphed and changed and evolved over the course of a year into a formal program structured using a framework, orderly, uh, relentless, and over time... What we realized was that if you apply some of the great management learnings, you know, everything by Jim Collins or Pat Lencioni or Van Harnish's scaling up and and Capgemini's uh, transformation mapping and all of that, all of that good stuff, then you're more likely to not only address the discount factors that a buyer might apply to your agency when, uh, when you come to sell, but you're also more likely to become a better run operation. And certainly in the first half of my career, um, or the f- first half of the first half of my career, the first 10 years of me running agencies, and, and bearing in mind I had six agencies uh, during that kind of founder-CEO phase of my life, um, I didn't know how to run a business. I, d- I didn't know what best practice was. I'd never really been managed well and I was kind of a rebel, and I was in an industry that was rebellious. You know, we were the upstart digital people trying to break the old advertising models. And so we everything was trial and error. And the reality is that we don't... Nobody who's a founder needs to do stuff through trial and error. 
you, trial and error should be applied to how you make a brilliant product or how you change the world or how you are more creative or deliver better service. That's where that's where you can learn from first principles. But running a business, broadly speaking, you know, teaching people how to delegate at a very early stage in their career is beneficial. It's beneficial to them, to their business, to the people who are working with them. Teaching people how to identify superstars and how to manage people who aren't doing so well and teaching people how to market themselves properly or do great propositions and positioning. All of those things, that's stuff that already exists. It's already prior art. It's stuff that we know about. So the program evolved from being just how do we make the company the most valuable company we can to is there a way along the way of making it a brilliant company to work at and be a part of. And that then evolved into uh, how do we make companies people-centered and people-centric and how do we drive from the bottom up? And then lo and behold, what happened was that we suddenly realized that every single company that got through the two years of the program either doubled its revenue or tripled its revenue. And in fact, we had a 100% track record every company that completes the program completed the program until covid at least doubled its revenue and quite a few of them sold and those that sold sold at an absolute maximum multiple and so the program became really a scaling program and 2y3x the name 2y3x is 2y two years 3x three times growth so in order to hold everybody's feet to the flames including ours because the program's not uh, it's not cheap. You know, if you want to triple your revenue, then it's it's an investment. You invest in tripling your revenue. But for us, then, to make sure that we are held to, to account, half of our fee comes by hitting that 2 or 3x target, um, sometimes more. So it, it's there partly to focus our minds and partly because actually it works really, really well. As you've mentioned it quickly, you should probably just share with us what is the likely investment cost for an agency considering going on the... 2Y3X program? Well, in the UK, it's uh, £50,000 a year for the two years, plus £100,000 bonus, assuming we hit the target. In the US, it's $100,000 a year with a $200,000 bonus at the other end. The interesting thing is that, that very, very early on, being a people-centred, people-oriented business for our clients, we also realised the same had to happen for ourselves. So, um, our consultants, the people who work within the business, an amazing team of people, actually. I mean, amazing team of people. I could talk about them for hours, so please ask me. Um, uh, but they're 50% of their fee comes when we hit the targets at the end. So everybody's aligned with the owner's goals. Everybody's uh, aligned with that. Because I think when you have something that's entirely outcome-oriented, that is focused on results... Making sure that you are all on the journey together, in it together, is is really important. And I remember as an agency owner, there was a point at which I realised that, do you know what, most of our clients actually are our adversaries. They're always trying to beat us up to, to get better pricing or or to get more for their money or for us to be more creative. And it was always this sort of battle of wills. And what I love about the 2Y3X process and programme is actually we're all in it together. It's this journey that we that we're on um, that creates an amazing place to work built on top of something that's already uh, great, but now we make it really great 
and uh, it works really particularly well with ambitious teams uh, or, or uh, ambitious founders who want to empower their teams. And so that's where the joy comes. Well, it really resonates with me personally, having set up Propeller originally about uh, more years than I care to mention now, <laughs> but probably 22. Um, this whole idea of, yes, you don't have to go through trial and error um, and that there's some, some sort of truths that you can just apply. That would have been, I wish I had the book then. I've got it in my hand now. I'm sort of, <laughs> for the benefit of the listener, flicking through the uh, 200 pages of, of, of wisdom. So we'll go on to the book in a little bit more detail in a bit, Felix, but I just want to sort of spool back a bit. You've clearly had a lot of lived experience through the agencies and, and been, seen it from all sides. Just take us back a bit. How did you get started in agency life in the first place and what was your first startup? Interesting. So I fell in love with the idea of virtual worlds in the late 80s. I had a brief stint as, a, as an ad salesman and I joined a company that was selling ad space on something called Prestel, which was the first commercial virtual space. And I, re I just thought that the idea of having a virtual space was amazing. And it wasn't called that at the time, but it was essentially, it was a commercial walled garden uh, broadcast on, uh, across TV sets. And it was at the same time that France had Minitel, which was an information retrieval system uh, uh, connected to your phone line. And there were movies like War Games coming out, you know, where people were dialing up and, and dialing into NORAD. And, you know, so it, it, was, it was an amazing time of imagination. Anyway, fast forward a few years later, I, I, I was, uh, I had a publishing company, or I tried to start a publishing company, and my business partner had walked off with all the money, and so I was kind of, I left high and dry, and I was looking for something to do. I had blue hair, and another person who'd been a victim of the same hairdresser, <laughs> both. <laughs> um, Who'd behaved decently in 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 those circumstances? My my personal core value is is honour. It's all, I think my world revolves around it. So he and I got together, and and he was creative, and I'd come from a creative background. I I spent my childhood drawing and painting things for money. Uh, my uh, parents were creatives, and grandparents, and so on. So uh, we got together and and started a what we thought was going to be a multimedia business, but actually very, very quickly, October 94, became a web design company, one of the world's first. And so we did that and we became famous and it was great and it was bonkers. And, you know, we spent, I suppose, half of the time nightclubbing and half of the time <laughs> staying up all night uh, doing pitches. And um, what was the name of that one? That was Hyper Interactive. That was Hyper Interactive. That, that was great fun. And then beginning in 97, I left with uh, Jason Holland, who became my very long time business partner. He and I uh, had businesses across 17 years together. Uh, and he uh, was my creative director at Head New Media. And Head New Media eventually got, well, we were approached by everybody, but we eventually sold to um, Lowe, uh, what's now Mullin Lowe Prefera, which at the time was the world's most awarded advertising network and we at the time were the world's most uh, awarded digital agency and so it seemed like a perfect fit and of course it wasn't because the culture clash was astonishing but it was great it was an object lesson of why you shouldn't sell to the majors and how M&A really could be done and how to make what the difference between the sort of traditional ways of running business and having a people-centred business and culture-based business can make things magic. 
And did you think then that you would sort of store up all these learnings and kind of release them later in your career? Oh, my God, just no, think, no. I wanted to be on a yacht. I thought I'd make myself a squillionaire instantly. Um, and then, <laughs> then uh, dot-com happened and wiped everybody out at the same time. So pick out one or two <laughs> memorable trial by error mistakes that you, you encountered at the time that you would urge a business owner or leader of today to avoid. Oh, uh, all of them. I made every single mistake that you could possibly make. I made some of the mistakes several times, embarrassingly. You know, sort of not trusting your people and bossing people around. And I, I mean, I, I was a truly hopeless manager, really, because I'd never been managed properly before then. So I was really good at waving my arms around and being an inspirational leader type. But actually, I didn't know how to deal with people. I didn't know how to manage people. And I kind of expected everybody to read my mind. And, you know, that classic sort of you come back from a pitch and if you won, won the deal and you throw the deal over your shoulder because you're bored and you've got another pitch to do and everybody behind you is left standing there saying, I don't know what to do. And it's your fault. Right? So there are a million different things that I screwed up. But then I think you had a period where you, you kind of retired and then sort of came back and decided to launch launch the programme. What was what was the thinking behind that? Well, I by then I'd I'd had another couple of agencies. I'd been CEO of an agency roll up that was brilliant, and we won Tesco and Bauer Media as clients and so on. And but had 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 ultimately failed again. That was another learning. My life is filled with amazing learning experiences. One or two successes and thousands of of learning experiences. But I I got to the point where in about two thousand and fourteen. I figured that my agency was, career was done. I'd been CEO of a group. I'd had a bunch of agencies. I'd done loads and loads of M&A, both selling agencies for great deals and when they were in trouble and buying agencies and doing deals. And I loved the sort of the M&A part of it, but I, I, I'd fallen out of love of running agencies myself. And I was in a fortunate, fortunate position where I could sell my last agency and retire. And so I did that when I was 47 and I went off and I spent a year doing all of the festivals and all of the hedonism and all of the fun that you possibly could. I said yes to every favour for a year. I ended up working with Vint Cerf, the fa uh, father of the internet, on two different projects. One to do with the future of work called Innovation for Jobs, based at Stanford in the States. And the other, People-Centred Internet, which I ended up being working with for about four years with Mei Lin Fung and being the UK lead for that. Um, and and that was that was an education in creating people-centered organizations and thinking about how work should or could be in the future and alongside that I was as I say I was growing this program and testing it and honing it and I was doing it as, as you know was chairing some stellar agencies who wanted to grow who were committed to scaling and who trusted the program can you give a few names for our listeners to kind of yeah, sure. I mean, who did I work with? People like Matter of Form and Verb Brands and Deason, uh, Impero, one of the most impressive agencies, Alpha Century, uh, Nuco, Rawnet, people like that. So th there was a wide range of agencies in different types of space, but all of them were committed to the process and became stellar. And, and you know, people like Deason sort of I imagine that most of the listeners use Deason's staff handbook, which is open sourced as their um, as theirs. Um, these agencies have set the standard and become 
serial agencies of the year or they've sold for ridiculous multiples or they've uh, gone on to do amazing things. And going back to the book itself and the process of actually bringing the, the book out, mm. um, which and I really love the way you've sort of productized what might otherwise have been a series of sort of workshops and, and coaching schemes. It's a kind of a handbook for how to run and build an agency, certainly. Was that a difficult process? Did Tell us about getting a publisher, research, rewrites, or did it all just flow straight onto the well, uh, word process? Um, I hate to say this, because it was a different podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway, because uh, Lucy Mann runs a podcast, uh, podcast called The Small Spark Theory, and when it first launched in, whenever it was, 2017, she invited me on as an early guest, and and she's uh, she's like you she's a lovely interview she gets the best out of you and so she asked me all these questions about my process and and program and and it was one of those miraculous one take um interviews and then i got a call a few days after it was published from a literary agent called kate barker who's amazing and she said you won't remember me but you taught me at an institute of direct marketing course 15 years ago uh, and uh, I remembered you from then, and you've got to write a book. So actually, it didn't come from me. It was it was entirely externally genera- generated the, in terms of the idea, and I sat down and I started writing this book, and then two and a half years later, I was 5,000 words in or something and struggling, and and I just I, I decided to take two weeks off and hide myself away, and so I took two weeks off and hid myself away and, and cracked the back of the book, and and really, it's it's you know the book actually is a very detailed, thorough manual for how you deliver scale at speed in agencies, and it's effectively the manual for the two Y three X program, albeit without the secret sauce and the management and the facilitation and the holding your feet to the flames. But it's a very comprehensive um, how to build an agency or prepare an agency for scaling and then how do you scale it um, in practice. I wanted to give the book to me, to my younger self, the guy with blue hair who didn't know anything about running a business, who was trying to grow these agencies in the face of ignorance and my own arrogance and the sort of battle against the outside world. And so the book is really for me. It's for it's for the entrepreneur who hits that bloody ceiling that happens at a million or a million and a half or two and a half million that everybody who runs an agency hits and, and doesn't know how to get past and this is this is the the instruction manual right and that's a very good segue into uh what we might do next because um that's a lovely roundup and 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 a little summary of why you did it you're listening to the dog and bone podcast from propeller group if you're enjoying it please share the link with your network Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. At this point in the podcast, I'm going to play in a few questions from uh, one or two contacts and and, uh, people we know at Propeller. So this question is from Graham Goodkind, who's the founder and chairman of Frank PR. Hi Felix, Graham Goodkind from Frank here. Um, my question is really about um, inflection points, I guess, for an agency when they're growing. I've always found that um, about 1.5 to 2 million seems to be a level of revenue where 
agencies sort of come a cropper sometimes. They hit their head a bit on a, on a glass ceiling and struggle to get through that. Likewise, about three to three and a half million seems to be another one. Do you think there are these sort of inflection points where um, this sort of growth stutters and um, why? And what do you think agencies can do to get through them? Thank you. Yeah, great, great question. And it's something that we're all familiar with. Everybody listening to this will know exactly what you're talking about. In America, they call them growth plateaus. It's when the agency stalls. And it's incredibly frustrating because actually they typically, this happens after a period of growth. So you go from uh, zero to a million or a zero to a million and a half and you get to this uh, and it's been uh, like a wild ride. And you do that through grit and determination and, you know, chutzpah and a few good clients and some great work. And then you get to this point where suddenly it all stops. Similarly, you'll be growing from 1.5 and you'll be going up northwards and, you, you know, you're motoring the, to the 2 million barrier and you get to 2.4 and it all stops. It's incredibly frustrating. And a lot of the clients that we work with at 2Y3X, that's exactly where they are. Is they've hit the 2.4 or the 3.6 or the 4.8 and they don't know how to get past it. And I'll tell you what the you asked why. The, the the reason the basic reason is that what makes a great company at two million isn't the same thing that makes a great company at three and a half million or five million or ten million or even one million. It's, you have different state uh, kind of phase states, if you like. It's almost like sort of ice, water, and gas, right? But it's it's these phase states are because. That first million or million and a half is all about energy and trying to trying to figure out how to sell and product market fit. And then the the next bit, the sort of million and a half to two and a half, is all about hiring one or two expensive, more experienced people and trying to put some order into it. And then the 2.4 to 3.6 is about how do we turn this into a machine, a well-run, well-managed business? Uh, and then you know, then it goes into how do you how do you put in place middle management and so on. These are different, almost different animals. What what actually happens in 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 functional terms is that I will take the sort of uh, the transition between before a million and a half and the transition to take you into the next phase of million and a half to two and a half. It's at that million and a half point where. You've had loads of energy, you've got some great people, but now you need a bit of maturity and experience. And so at that point, you actually need to sacrifice some of your salary and some of your senior people probably need to do the same in order that you can afford to hire in a great client service director or planning director or product person um, or ops person. And then you spend that, uh, uh, and that's actually quite a wrench. Now, that's not an intuitive thing. OK, intuitive is hire more cheap people like me and we'll teach us all how to do it and enthusiasm and energy and stuff. And the reality is that actually at that point you need some systems and processes. So you then go into the systems and processes phase where you you've got uh, a more experienced client services person. And you've got um, you've got some workflow and you've got probably a project manager for the first time and so on. And you create this agency around these new workflows you 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 know how to sell to clients and you know how to deliver the work to those clients and you optimize this machine 
And as you optimize it, it gets more and more efficient. And here's the really irritating thing. It becomes really efficient and it becomes so efficient that nobody wants to change it. So you're really efficient at being a two and a bit million pound agency. But actually, you need to be a three million pound agency of a different shape. But you can't change shape because what you've got works. And nobody in their right mind is going to change what you've got that works because it works. And it's risky to change it to the next phase. So that's the, the, the what and the why is you super optimize and then everybody says, whoa, whoa, we don't want to change anything. And that, then you wonder why you've ceased growing. And you've ceased growing because you're optimized for the size you're at. You're not optimal for the size you want to be next. Okay. So the way to escape that is actually what the 2Y3X program is all about. It's, it's, that's what we do. The reason it's a two-year program is because it takes a year to put in place all the mechanisms to create the transition and then it takes another year before um, to actually start the scaling process so you sort of you reach this inflection point you've this plateau this this sort of stalled moment of frustrating stability you then do some hard work of prep and then you unblock things and suddenly it starts growing you get then it, you spend another couple of years getting to the next phase and then you have to do the same again Right. So the 2Y3X program is about the framework that is required so that you can put in the building blocks for the scalable version of your agency and create the transition from the way that you do things now to the way that you do things next and then liberate that. So 2Y3X is a transition program. It just happens to be a transition program that works by giving the power to the next generation or the future people in the agency, the superstars, so that they can design the next version of the agency, the three or the five million uh, version of the agency, whilst your existing senior team uh, keeps the ship steady, keeps it going as it is, until you're ready to make the change. So you get scaling in a series of jumps from level to level to level, levelling up. Um, I think the publishers, uh, Hachette, at one point wanted to call the book Level Up, <laughs> um, which would have been great. So the Growth Lab team isn't necessarily the same as the most experienced team. The reason it's not the senior team is because the senior team is is the team that's built the thing that's got you here, and they run it brilliantly, and they have a vested interest in the status quo. So we call this team the Growth Lab team. And Growth Lab team is a is a term borrowed from Harvard, which is where one of my colleagues, the uh, head of North America, 2Y3X is head of North America, lectures. And Growth Lab team is essentially, it's, it's, a, it's almost a hothouse or a sort of a skunk works of people who are really invested in the business. They really want to be part of the future of the business. They want to create amazing next stage of the business. And they're smart enough and um, uh, clever enough and proactive enough to engage in this next phase of design. And so we work with them to do the uh, research and the prototyping, the planning and the, the implementation of uh, each of the, the different changes and the modules that need to be uh, implemented in order to, to create this fa fantastic sort of transformation from the agency that you have been to the agency you're going to be. So the next question is from Pete Rees-Campbell, who's the founder and CEO of Kazen. 
Hey Felix, I run a marketing business and I feel really lucky that in the past year our revenue has sort of doubled and we finally hit the three million pounds sort of turnover. But one thing I've noticed as we've doubled the size of the team from 20 to 40 is that very recently a lot of our juniors are experiencing burnout and I want to get a sense of what maybe some things I can do so that as I continue to scale the business, we maintain a good, healthy culture that can practically spot these things and address them. Yeah, I mean, there's some. I think burnout is uh, one of those things that you must avoid. Um, I've had bits of my early career where I felt burnt out and I had to run away. Um, and I, I'm sure everybody who's listening is an entrepreneur and and you will know the feeling of utter stress that happens when you're doing 10, 12 hour days and it's all on your shoulders and so on. Now imagine that 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 pressure is being applied from the top down and you're junior and you're being expected to do 10, 12 hour days and so on and so forth. To me, that that's part of the lots and lots of different um, things to unpack in there but one of them is how do we manage people how do we delegate stuff how do we calibrate tasks that we want to uh, give people responsibility for delivering how trans transparent do we want to be how do we hold people to account and how do we let people know what's expected of them and there's some fantastic tools like job scorecards that that allow us to provide people with guidance as to what they're expected to be able to deliver but management and, and the parceling out of tasks is really critical and you can't really do that without data. And I was having this conversation t- today actually with with somebody who didn't want to do timesheets and, and none of us wants to do timesheets. Oh, God. But we need the data, right? You can't make decisions about whether somebody's overworked or underworked without proper data at a gla- granular um, level. But you can actually at a macro level do it quite easily. And in agencies, at least there's a magic number, turns out to be universally true no matter what kind of agency you are, as long as you're not in manufacturing. But any service business also works with law firms and so on. Uh, And the magic number is the ratio between the amount that you spend on staff and your gross profit, and gross profit being your revenue less bought externalized bought in costs or um, you know things like sales commission and media the the ratio is 55% and it turns out that if the ratio that you measure every month uh, and you look at and you examine every month if the ratio strays too far away from 55% then something is wrong and if it goes north to about 60% it means that you've got you're spending more on staff than you need to. Now, actually, in practical terms, what that means is that you've either got too many staff or your staff are sitting around twiddling their thumbs or you haven't got enough work. But it's an indicator that things aren't quite right. Conversely, if it goes below 55% and you're going heading towards 52%, for example, it's very likely that you've got too much work on, that people are doing 10-hour days and that people are starting to get stressed. So that magic number is is the first port of call when you're looking at uh, how to prevent burnout. If you see that you're going south of 55%, do something about it. Dig in, figure out whether or not you need to do timesheets so you can look at um, staff utilisation at a granular level, but then do something about it. Final question from now. 
Hi, this is Tamara Littleton, the founder and CEO of The Social Element. We also happen to be a very happy client of Propeller as well. So my question is, I'm very focused on constantly and consistently growing my agency. But what is the most common mistake that you see agency owners make when they're trying to grow their business? And what can they do to avoid repeating it? Listen, I'll dispose of one straight away. That the, the Every single client that we work with that comes on the programme every single one of them needs to address, which is proposition. Proposition, proposition, proposition. It's it's absolutely, if your proposition isn't uh, tight uh, and doesn't allow your audience to self-identify, then you're, you're not going to grow anyway. Self-identify? So you mean if your proposition is really accurate, it'll become obviously apparent who you're... Yeah, it'll become apparent to the audience. So uh, 2Y3X. Uh, the 2Y3X program triples revenue. That's our proposition, right? If you don't want to triple your revenue, don't bother coming to us. But if you do, you know exactly who to come to because we're the only ones. Um, that, that's a tight proposition. It's not a particularly imaginative one, but it, it does does the job. Um, I prefer Imperos, which was uh, when I did it a few years ago, was uh, we make tired brands famous again. Yeah, qualifies you in or out. That's that's the essence of a great proposition. But the number one mistake that owners make is not spreading the load. And one of the problems with being an owner, founder, even a co-founder, is that you are the bottleneck. Each of us, if we're even if we're really good managers, and I, as I said, I was a hopeless manager. But even if you're a really good manager, you have the bandwidth to manage your workload and five reports. And that's a bottleneck because actually by the time you get to being a two, three million pound agency, you've probably got seven or eight reports and you can't handle it. So by spreading the workload, just add one other person and suddenly you've got capacity for 10 reports. And that's twice as much change and and growth and, and speed and all of that kind of stuff that you can do all at the same time. So... Um, and spreading the load is not just about delegating, although there's great stuff about you know how to delegate. You pick up a copy of Harvard Business Review and it'll tell you how to delegate. In the book, there's a really simple way of visualising the requirement to teach delegation at a very young age or a very early stage in careers, um, because delegation is absolutely critical. The way that 2Y3X gets around the problem of delegation is by not delegating. What we do is we create this growth lab team and we ask everybody on the team, more often than not, including the founder, to take on one task each, uh, every quarter, and to volunteer and to deliver it to the best of their ability whilst paying attention and collaborating with their peers in the growth lab team. Now, that, that suddenly you've got five times the bandwidth for making change. And it's why Scale at Speed works. It's why... You, I think the first question you asked was, how can you guarantee that you'll triple revenue? Well, firstly, half of our fees on the line. But secondly, it's because we've multiplied the bandwidth by five times. Yeah. And that allows us to get an astonishing amount done, provided it's done on rails. And that's what our facilitators there, uh, are there to do. It reminds me of an early tip I was given shortly after I started about delegation when you're trying to hire people that you think are kind of good enough or up to the task. And somebody said to me, if you can if you can find two people that are could do three quarters of what you can do, get them in because that's like one and a half of you already. 
So uh, it gets you down the road of sort of multiplying bandwidth, as you said. Yeah, but there's an even better one, which is the rule number one in the uh, Harvard Business Review's Big Red Book. Hire people who are better than you and get out of the way. And I love that because, I, I, you know, my colleagues in, in at my work, in my programme, uh, Mo Lashomwa, who's, who's just been announced as uh, Global MD, um, you know, she was on the board of publicists Sapient and, and Saatchi and Saatchi and uh, was head of consulting at Adobe. These are fabulously talented people. Eva, who I was speaking with this morning, you know, she was head of digital transformation at the BBC. And at Amazon. These are, Who's that? What was the full name of that last person? Eva Applebaum. Okay, yeah. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, Jim Stern in the States is the head of the Data Analytics Association and has written 12 books and lectures at... Yeah, uh, Harvard, and it, you know this... you have the benefit of huge sort of um, reputation and critical mass. I was my tip was more for the very small. But it's the same principle: is hire people who are better at it than you are, and let them get on with it. Points taken on board. We're coming near to the end. Just before the closing question, we seem to have got through about forty minutes of discussion without really mentioning work from home, COVID, <laughs> pandemic, or lockdowns. Yeah. In a couple of sentences, does the whole kind of work from home hybrid movement? speed up or slow down the uh, 2Y, 3X process? It's really interesting. Up until COVID, we were doing it all in person. So we were going, you know, we were travelling up north to go to do, to run roadmap days, you know, workshops and board meetings and so on. Then COVID hit and most of our clients got really, really badly hit. And so we decided to go pro bono and fully remote. And so we started running workshops uh, to anybody who was in trouble and we had a lot of people come to us and say, we're in trouble, can you help? And so all of the consultants, everybody volunteered for about a year. And so we did everything remotely. And that led to that understanding how to do remote and deliver scale at speed remotely led to us becoming an international consulting firm. So we've got clients, you know, there's, I was on, in a meeting the other day with a client in Calgary. We've got clients all over the place. Uh, our managing director lives in uh, Zambia part of the time. Um, so we are fully remote, and most of our clients are starting to become fully remote. I think that, that for us, it's it's made it much more efficient and more effective as a program, and it's allowed us to deliver it globally in a way that we could not have done before. So um, just our own experience is uh, remote is amazing and is the future, and... Uh, somebody said, it, told me a joke the other day, which is the difference between um, Generation X and Generation Z and uh, and Generation Alpha is uh, when are we going back to the office? Um, why should we go back to the office? And what is an office? Yeah. And I think that we have to design for the future. So including younger generations and sort of less experienced people who've got just as much talent into the decision-making process is really, really critical. So it's a bit of a tradition on the Dog and Bone podcast to end with a slightly humorous question, um, which is to ask you, what is your most embarrassing moment in your business career? <laughs> uh, there are a lot of them. Uh, and some of them are really big and some of them are really tiny. But I'll tell you one that's fairly recent. It was just before lockdown. Um, we... <laughs> Uh, I had been working with an agency, a brilliant storytelling agency um, called Nuko Brain, and uh, we we tripled 
their revenue and we'd uh, doubled their profit percentage and we'd tripled the size of their team and we'd sold, we'd got them to the point where Unit 9 bought them and their owner went on to Unit 9's board. I mean, it's an amazing success story, a really, really fabulous uh, time. And it was my last day. And so we did this this really fun day with celebration and I walked into the main floor of the office um, in near Old Street and at the end of the day and I walked walked out and I just sort of, you know, did did the farewell thing and thank you very much for paying so paying attention and so on and uh and everybody clapped and I turned around and I opened the door and I walked straight into a cupboard. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the Dog and Bone, Felix Villardi. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast and if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.